Good morning, Access Church. Glad you guys are here today. We're going to continue our series uh, called Staycation, and the summer is almost over, and the fall is upon us. We're going to start a new series in a couple weeks, but uh, we've been talking about staying in the faith, and staying uh, humble, and staying approachable, and staying uh, just positive in the midst of a culture that is often filled with criticism. And that's why today we're going to talk about staying above the noise. Listen to this poem called The Wrecking Crew. I stood on the street of a busy town watching men tearing a building down. With a ho-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and a sidewall fell. I asked the foreman of the crew, are those men as skilled as those you'd hire if you wanted to build? Ah, no indeed. Just common laborers are all I need. I can tear down as much in a day or two as it would take skilled men a year to do. And then I thought as I went on my way, just which of these two roles am I trying to play? Have I walked life's road with care, measuring each deed with rule and square? Or am I one of those who roam the town content with the labor of tearing down? Guys, I have learned that those who build are rare and those who tear down and destroy are everywhere. Rare is the player on the field who puts in the time and effort to succeed. Everywhere are the critics in the stands who judge every foul or bad call. Rare is the leader who sets the vision and then serves with diligence. Everywhere are those who judge every decision but refuse to lend a hand. Rare is the person who engages in helpful dialogue. Everywhere are those who repost a meme without thought to its impact. Rare is the encourager, the servant, the humble, the listener, the meek, the strong. Everywhere is the criticizer, the lazy, the proud, the talker, the controller, the weak. So today we're going to talk about Jesus' words found in Matthew chapter 7. And these are words right out of the Sermon of the Mount. And this is the most often misused passage of scripture, I believe, out of all of them. And it starts like this. You'll be familiar with it. Do not judge or lest you'll be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. And I say these words are the most misused because often they are used or said by somebody who is a critic of the Bible or a critic of Christianity, and that person will too often justify bad behavior by saying to you, don't judge me or less you'll be judged. But I want you to notice today what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. Here's what he's not saying. He is not forbidding spiritual discernment. Nearly every time a Christian makes a moral stand on something these days, people say, who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge how I make my decisions? Didn't Jesus say, love everybody? Don't, then they say, don't judge or you'll be judged. Jesus was not saying, don't be discerning over another person's behavior. In fact, Jesus himself uh, called uh, the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He challenged the money changers in the temple for being greedy. He taught his followers to be discerning and make wise decisions about things. 
In fact, Jesus also says, by your fruit, you're going to know people. And we don't sit on God's judgment throne, but we can see good fruit and bad fruit. And the Bible says, we're to be aware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing. We're to lovingly rebuke a brother who sins. We're to forgive those who repent. How can you do those if you can't be spiritually discerning? And by the way, some of you today, in your job and career, you are discerning. There are police officers here today who have to make judgment calls every single day about what they will do or will not do on the job. Employers are here who hire people, and you have to make discernments about the kind of character that person has. So he's not saying, don't be discerning. He's also not forbidding uh, constructive criticism. Constructive criticism is essential in our world because uh, there are always problems that need to be solved, and we always need to support and help one another, and encourage one another along the way. My staff here at church, they know that. In fact, when I'm done preaching, if Josh is out here, I'll be like, hey, what can I do differently? What can I say differently? Or if he preaches, I'll say to him, hey, here's a different way to tell that story. I tell my staff all the time that as lead pastor, I have two rights. One is the right to have input, but that's a shared right. In other words, I can share with you what I think about what you're doing, but you can share with me about what you think I'm doing and how I can maybe tweak it or change it or do something differently, the right to have input, but I also have the right to say no, because at some point, sometimes you have to say, no, we're not going to do it that way. But I've learned over the years that if if you do the right to have input well, you almost never have to do the second right. You almost never have to say no because you have talked with it. You have worked it out with one another. Constructive criticism is so important in a healthy society. So he's not forbidding that. Jesus did say, he said, be sure to take that plank out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see how you can help your brother. Constructive criticism is not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is hypercriticism. The terrible habit of searching for the little things wrong in other people and delighting in condemning them. I think Jesus is talking about the husband who ignores the fact that his wife is affectionate, she's a good mother, a faithful employee, has a pleasant attitude, and he criticizes her for her weight. Or maybe he was talking about the single person who has no deep relationships because they're always finding something wrong in other people, and so they don't have any real strong relationships in their life. I think he was talking about the church member who maybe goes to church and then picks apart every little thing in the leadership or they go home with a very discouraged spirit because they talk a lot about the service. He's talking about the employee who behind the scenes at work is just nibbling away at the leader or gossiping about things or finding flaws in the support staff. John Wesley uh, was known as a very colorful reformer uh, in the... the, uh, uh, 16th century, and when he was reforming the church and thinking about that, he was also um, one who was very colorful, and he would dress very colorfully. And one time, he wore a bow tie that was uh, a bit frilly, and a woman from the church thought, oh, that is so worldly. And she went up to him with a critical spirit and said, I can't believe that you would wear a tie like that. It's too frilly. I think that's so worldly. And he said, does anybody have a pair of scissors? He handed it to her and said, why don't you cut it to the length that you feel like is less worldly and would be appropriate? And she did. And then he said, now would you hand me the scissors and could you please stick out your tongue? But I think the... 
the length of your tongue is too long. And I think that it's an evidence of worldliness too. I'd like to cut it down to size. Well, I couldn't get away with that, but apparently John Wesley can. We are all guilty of criticism, of having a tongue that's a bit too long when it comes to this topic. And so why do we do that? I think one reason we do it is because of guilt. Criticism at times comes because we feel guilty about something, and so we need to tear somebody else down to size in order to kind of calm our own guilt. When, when Goliath came against the people of Israel, David, the shepherd boy, came to the battlefield, and when he did, his oldest brother, who was unwilling to fight the battle, said to David, why are you out here? How haughty you are in spirit. Why don't you go back and tend the sheep back in the pen? And David said, is there not a cause? And Eliab was criticizing him because he himself was unwilling to get into the battle, and so he criticized his brother. And I think criticism hurts most when it comes from people that we love, people that are in our inner circle, maybe a parent or a spouse or a brother or a sister, or maybe an employer. And it was the guilt of Eliab that made him uh, so critical of David. You see, we don't want to admit our own failures. So we think maybe we'll feel better if we can tear somebody else down. Mark, my brother who spoke here last week, said he used to have a couple in church who every time there was a building program or a financial program, that couple would become hypercritical of the things of the church. Then they would leave during that program, and then when the program was over and the building was completed, they would come back and be supportive again until the next program. Something about their guilt about not getting involved calls them to be critical of things. Another reason we criticize is because of envy. Jesus was absolutely perfect, but he had his critics because they were upset with him about, they would say, well, you don't observe the Sabbath, or you don't wash your hands correctly, or you're too liberal about the Gentiles. But the real problem was the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus' popularity and his influence. If you get jealous of somebody, you're inclined to look for their faults. And to try to find ways that maybe I could tear that employee down because they were more successful at work than I was. Maybe I'll look better if I can tear them down. My dad one time to me said to me after a very critical period, a season where I was enduring a bit of criticism, and he said, Stephen, at the heart of every criticism is jealousy. And at the time I said, Dad, I don't think that's right. And uh, I, I don't see that. I don't think they're jealous in this case. And sure enough, over the years I've noticed that the more and more that I, I face those times on and off, that at the heart of that, there is something that at the heart of it is, I want that position, or I want that ability, or I want this, and so I'll be critical. But another reason I think people are critical is just, just ego. We live in a time where everybody feels like, if I can just share my opinion, share my thought, and, and somehow I will just put it to people, and then therefore I'll feel better about things. I mean, we pay people to be critics in the movies or sports or politics. And if you think about it, if a news reporter only gave positive stories, that news reporter would never uh, win any prize for that. Everybody would shut them out. But if they're negative, if they have a negative story, it draws a lot of attention. I've learned over the years that it's very easy to draw a crowd when you have a critical voice. People don't last but they will come around you if you have a critical voice. 
People listen to you, but eventually it will backfire on you if you're critical. You will be judged as you have judged, and you will turn people off if you are negative all the time. The Bible says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, why is it wrong to criticize? Well, I think obviously it's wrong because it harms the person that's being criticized. If you have ever been on the receiving end of being criticized, you know how hurtful it is. And even though you might talk behind somebody's back, it's going to come back on you. Eventually, it's going to come back around. But people are hurt by criticism. Uh, Reputations are hurt. Leaders are discouraged. Jobs are lost. Because no matter how tough-skinned people try to be, criticism still hurts us. It discourages us. And even if criticism doesn't get back to them, well, you're reducing their effectiveness because you're influencing people around them. Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in your brother's way. And I want to say, in the position that I hold, and anybody who leads knows this, but it it seems like it's a lot at times in the church, anybody in my position knows that it comes with criticism. And there have been times or seasons over the years where it has been very, very difficult and And there were people that just uh, didn't like the decisions that I was making. And I understood that because there were times where I didn't like the decisions I was making, if you know what I mean. And and there were times of just struggle and challenge. But I want to tell you, there have also been some real seasons where I've been like, that was just a beautiful time. But I've been doing this for the last 30 years, since 1992 was when I was ordained, 30 years. And I want to tell you something. In all the years that I have done what I do, I've never been in such a positive place, an encouraging place with such loving people. You are a blessing to me. And I have received from time to time, oh, little criticism here or there, but overwhelmingly, being at Axis, I have been lifted by you and encouraged by you and loved by you. And, and I think that's because of your character. I think that's because of who you are. I think it's because we have a spirit here of let's just join arm in arm and do this thing together. And we're not going to tear each other down. We're going to build each other up along the way. And I think that culture has been set here and established here. And, and, and I think one of the reasons this here is because of starting point. Uh, and we go through and starting point right from the very beginning uh, what's expected and what we don't do here and what we do here. And we talk about not being a gossip and being humble and not being somebody who's critical, but instead somebody who's encouraging. And I use a little phrase and starting point sometimes, and uh, I've said it in, in different places, and I guess it could be taken wrong, but, but I, I've said uh, since the beginning of Axis, I've told people, look, you can stay and be happy or you can leave and be happy, but don't stay and be grumpy. We don't need everybody to be grumpy around here. There's too much of that in the world. And behind, uh, today behind the stage as I was sitting in the green room, I was thinking to myself, you know what I should say is, you can stay and be happy or leave and I'll be happy. I mean, I can say that to some grumpy people, you know, at times. And, uh, but, you know, you might take it the wrong way, but take it in the spirit, I mean it. The reality is, life is too short to be critical. Life is too short to be grumpy all the time. And I tell people, if you got an issue, just come. Let's talk it out. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's work through it. And I want to tell you today, 
Thank you so much for your encouragement for our staff team and those who volunteer as well because they are putting so much time and energy and effort and passion into what they do, and it's difficult. And by the way, seminaries are closing today. There are not very many young leaders who are rising up through the church to say that I want to lead. And the average age of pastors is getting older and older and older because we're not replacing it. And there are many who will start out well. They'll go for three, four, five years. And then at some point they go, I can't take it anymore. I can't take the criticism anymore. And part of what I like to do is encourage those leaders. Stay in the game. It's worth it. Stay in it in the long haul. But anybody who leads knows exactly what I'm talking about today. Galatians 5.14 says, The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Nothing has divided more churches, broken up more families, discouraged more leaders, alienated more friendships than a spirit of backbiting and fault finding. People who have been Christians for years somehow do not look at the plank in their own eye, but they're far willing to look at the speck in somebody else's eye and they don't even see the problem with it despite Jesus' words. Maybe the worst result of criticism is that it really impacts the critic. Jesus said, in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And one day we're all going to stand before God. And goodness knows, I want grace and mercy, not judgment. Amen? And the Bible says, whatever you did, that will be pressed back to you. Whatever your spirit was, that will be the spirit. And so we say, I, I want to be received with grace. And so I want to give people grace. And I just think that criticism hurts the critic. No matter how beautiful your home or great your relationship with your spouse, no matter how fulfilling your job, if you walk around with a critical spirit all the time, you will eventually end up miserable. And people who are critical often end up alone because they turn people off. I heard about a woman who came into a hardware store and she was so critical of everything in the store all around the store, she was so critical of it, and the, the guy who was the clerk there finally got fed up with it, and she was talking about the brooms on the wall, and she's like, look at these brooms, these are terrible, the bristles don't even work, they're not very strong bristles, I wouldn't be able to use this at all, and the clerk just said, why don't you ride it home, and then we'll see. <laughs> I messed that joke up first hour, totally butchered it, and my concluding line was, She's a witch, all right? You get it? She's a witch. If you don't get the joke, I'll just tell you what it is. Well, how do we control criticism? I think the first thing we need to do is recognize the wickedness of it. Let's quit rationalizing it. Let's quit excusing it. You can't just say, I'm a perfectionist. I like things done right. Or, hey, God has given me a gift of criticism. That's not in the Bible, and that's not a gift. It's one thing to demand perfection of yourself. It's another thing to demand it of other people or to say, well, I'm just busy and I demand respect. David prayed in Psalm 129, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. So inspect your heart. Are you one that's more likely to be critical, judgmental? Secondly, once you've recognized it, repent. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, 
Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. It is refreshing when we come before God and say, you know what, I did it this way and now I'm gonna change. Repentance means I'm gonna turn around, I'm gonna go a different direction. So don't just not do something, do something positive. Don't just say, I'm not gonna be critical in this situation. Instead, find a way to be positive. Find a way to encourage somebody in the middle of this. This is something that all of us need to work on. How do we take a bad situation and make it better? And I have blown this many, many times in my life. Um, but recently, I had a car accident that I told you all about. It was over two months ago now. My truck, I ran into somebody, and uh, the side of my truck took the impact. Uh, the guy at the place where I went to take it said it would be 23 days. So I was like, 23 days? I can handle that. That's no problem. Well, because it was 23 days, right at that time, uh, Benjamin's car, uh, the air conditioner went out. I said, listen, I've got a different little car. You can drive that. I'll drive your car. It's going to be a short period of time. Um, it's been 65 days now. My truck is still in the shop, and um, it's been the hottest summer that I remember, and I really wish I had air conditioning right now. But my approach with the guy at the dealership has been a bit different this time. After the, about the 23-day period or so, I drove by the dealership, and guess what? I saw my truck. It wasn't inside. It was still outside. Hadn't even been touched. So I called him, and I said, hey, I noticed my car's uh, out in the parking lot, and um, what, what's going on? And he told me, well, we can't get parts, et cetera, et cetera. I said, okay, well, keep me up to date. He said, all right. Well, then uh, I, a week later, um, I was like, well, I'm going to go check on it, see if it was put in. And, and so I went over there. I called on Thursday, actually called on Friday. No response. Called on Monday, left two messages, by the way, Thursday, Friday. Got there on Monday. I said, I'm just going to go over there and see. I brought JB with me. JB leads worship here sometimes. And, and I was like, JB will go with me. And so we go, and there's three guys sitting there in the uh, collision area. I say, where's so-and-so? I'm not going to tell you his name. Um, but anyway, where's so-and-so? And he's like, Oh, he's in a meeting. He can't be disturbed. I said, well, just go, go see what he's doing. I'd, I'd like to see my truck. And, and he goes over there, comes back. He said, oh, he's in a meeting. We're, we're, our dealership is uh, changing owners, and he can't see you right now. And I said, that's fine. I'll go over and see him myself. And so I walk across the street over there, and I think the guy was probably texting him like, uh-oh, this guy is coming on his way, you know. And, and uh, JB's with me like, oh, this is going to be fun. You know, so I walk in there, and, and the sign of the door says closed, you know. And I walk through the door, and there's a salesman, hello. And I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm not here to buy anything. And then I see my guy. He's coming up the hall. He, I think he was looking at his phone like, uh-oh. And he's coming up. He's got a really weird look on his face like, this is about to go down. Like, we're about to throw down here in the dealership. Well, I wasn't having a spirit of throwing down. I just wanted to know what's going on with my truck. And I said, hey, I'd like to be able to, you know, I just want to know what's going on. And he told me, well, you know, we got this, and, and this has been a problem. This has been a challenge. I said, that's fine. Just keep me up to date. Let me know what's going on. I, I just wasn't getting a call back. So he said, okay. Well, kept going on, and now we're at 45 days, and he says, hey, we can't get rivets for your car. And I'm like, rivets? Like, go to Granger. I mean, I'm thinking in my mind, like, I could get rivets at Lowe's. I mean, he's, I said, why don't you order those 45 days ago? Anyway, but now we're just kind of walking through this. And about that time, I started throwing out to him, you know what would be really great? Be great if you, you know, paint my tailgate while you're at it. That thing's a bit of a mess. Oh, we can't do that, he said. Well, another week goes by, and uh, it still wasn't ready. And, uh, and I said, well, why don't, you, uh, why don't you spray a bed liner in there? That'd be great. And he goes, oh, that's $1,000 my cost. I can't do that. I said, all right, we'll see. And, 
Well, then the next week, by the way, I still don't have it. He said Monday, one of the glass broke. And so he called me on Friday. He said, I, well, you want to switch jobs? He said, I've, I've had a rough time with this one. And I said, no, no, you don't, you know, you don't want that. I said, how's it going? He said, well, be there Monday. We got to get it tinted and everything else. And he said, but I want to tell you something. He said, I really appreciate the fact that you've been positive through this process and patient. I, I know how long it's been. And I'm sorry about that. And he said, and you know what? We've got a bed liner here that I think will fit your truck. And I'd like to put it in there for you. And I said, I think that would be great. And, and you know what? I could tell you a lot of other stories where I have gotten this wrong. I mean, wrong. And I've been too critical or too harsh or too, I'm not saying don't be direct, friends. So there are times for that too. But there have been a lot of times where I've gotten wrong. And you know what I've learned over the years? I get a lot more through being kind than I do through being angry, you know? Anger just doesn't get me very far. And somebody might do something if you're angry, but they'll do it begrudgingly. But if you're kind and direct, there are often times where more will come out in the end, where things will work out. And I'm just saying that we should repent of the things we've done in the past and say, how can we encourage someone? How Everybody today needs encouragement. Everybody needs a word of encouragement. In fact, I think the best psychology in the Bible is found in Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, which says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then thirdly, before you criticize somebody, put yourself in their place. Uh, one uh, minister tells about a time where he worked at a Christian camp, and on the first day, he was very critical of a young man who, when they were playing softball, would not run to get the ball very fast, and he wouldn't run to first base very fast, and he was trying to challenge him to do better. And one of the other faculty members came up to him, and he said, hey, that, that kid has a disability. His one leg does not work as well as his other, and that's as fast as he can go. And the minister made a critical mistake. He didn't put himself in the other person's shoes. Listen, you are not capable of making judgments about things without knowing the full story. We don't know what paralyzes people. We don't know about their chemical imbalances. We don't know about their home life. We don't know about their temperaments or their temptations. Only God knows all the facts. That is why God is the only one who sits on the judgment seat. In the meantime, we're to try to be patient with people and understanding. So instead of popping off all the time with critical comments, wait until you get the facts. Put yourself in their shoes. Sit where they are. And if you're not sure what else to do during that time, pray. Pray for them. Jesus knew Simon Peter was going to fail him. And so he told Simon one time, he said, Simon, Satan has asked to like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that you won't fall. And I think that's one of the reasons Jesus was so supportive of Simon, even when he did fall, because he had been praying for him. It is difficult to be both critical and prayerful at the same time. So pray for them. And next, I would say lovingly confront somebody if it's necessary. The, the Bible says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Do it in the right way. Do it in the right attitude. Do it in the right timing. I, I, 
I had a, something that happened a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, it was in our leadership team uh, with our staff, and uh, something had happened that I wouldn't have done it that way, and, and I, the, the, I felt inside of me that sort of a spirit of frustration was happening, and, and, uh, and I, I'm peaking right now. I've told a few people this, you know, when the, when the meter on the volume, like, uh, starts to hit the peak, and because of all the things that are going on in Middletown and building the building and all the, the subs that are calling and the labor that has to happen and, and waking up at about 4.30 to 5 every morning and not being able to go back to bed because my mind is just, anybody know what I'm talking about here or is this just me? So this is, this is what's been going on. And so I know as I'm hitting that meter that I might be less likely to be patient, more likely to say something I shouldn't say. And so... Uh, in this particular Sunday, I thought to myself, I need to follow the 24-hour rule. Anybody know what that is? It's what the coach of my son's football team says to his football players and to the parents. He said to all of us, listen, if you get a problem the way I'm doing something, do not talk to me on game day. Don't talk to me before the game and don't talk to me after the game because I'm going to be talking to your kids about what happened in that game. Then 24 hours later, you can call me. We'll have a conversation. And so I practiced that myself. I was like, I'm going to wait 24 hours because I know if I say it right now, I may not say it in the right way. You know, back in the day, if you were upset with somebody, what would you do? You'd sit down and you'd write a letter and then you'd put an address on it and then you'd put a stamp on it and then you'd take it over to the mailbox and by the time you did that, you'd go, eh, it's not that important. I'm not going to send it. What do you do today? I'm just going to spout off about this right now. I'm going to write something about it right now and I'm going to let the world know. And by the way, all of your friends who agree with your position tell you how great and how wonderful you are. I'm here to tell you if you have a spirit of criticism, you're not being that great. You're not being that wonderful. You need somebody who loves you like me to tell you the truth. Amen? So make sure that you lovingly confront. Give yourself some time. And then have the conversation. The Bible says, speak the truth, but speak it in love. Speak it with that attitude of grace that says, I want to put myself in their shoes. One of the commandments that we have to follow as a staff and as a team, as we work together and in your place as well, is this, trust good intentions. Trust good intentions. If you believe in that person, trust that they didn't mean to do it, that it just happened, and that you want to trust their good intentions. Do that as spouses too, by the way. Do that with your employees, by the way. Go to them and go in your mind, I love this person, I trust this person. I'm going to trust that what they did, they didn't mean to do, and I'm going to have a good spirit and attitude with them, and we're going to have a talk about it. Now finally, I would say then, if somebody does come to you, listen. Listen to them. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Nobody likes criticism, but if somebody comes to you in the right attitude, the right spirit, and says, here's something to work on, then, then at that point, you receive that, receive it with grace and understanding. Jesus said, before you, examine, before you go to somebody, examine yourself. And think, is there anything that I've done to contribute to this? Take the plank out of your own eye, so that then you'll be able to clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye or your employee's eye, or your employer's eye, or your spouse's eye, or your child's eye. Anything you need to repent of today? Anything you need to offer forgiveness for today? 
Anybody you need to go to today? Don't delay. I love you guys. God, we give you thanks today for your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your truth and the word of God. Thank you, God, that it teaches us, that encourages us. And God, thank you that it, it does at times rebuke us or convict us because there are times in this culture where it seems like we're, we're more likely to spout off about something rather than love someone. So God, convict us of that. Help us to be people who build others up. Help us to be people who stay above the noise that's out there today that instead we stay faithful to you. We're willing to confront as needed lovingly. We're willing to learn as needed when people come in the right attitude and right way. God, help us to be like you, like Jesus. We just thank you for him. In your name we pray.